Welcome to Working on Wellness, Health and Mind's bi-weekly wellness podcast, where we dive into topics like mindfulness, mental health, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and healthy relationships. My name is Allison Thomas, and I thank you for joining us today as we learn about functional medicine and how we can live up to our body's potential. We'd like to remind you that you can learn more about the six tenets of wellness and how to get connected with us here at Health and Mind by clicking the link in the show notes. So according to the Institute for Functional Medicine, functional medicine determines how and why illness occurs and restores health by addressing the root causes of disease for each individual. We're joined today by Dr. Janine Lex. She's a doctor of functional medicine and Thank you, Dr. Lex, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, So when you hear that, um, that definition of what functional medicine is, um, does that really encompass, I'm sure it sounds like there's much more to functional medicine than what that is. Can you maybe give us a brief introduction about functional medicine? Well, it was interesting because when you were reading it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that is the definition, isn't it? But I always think, (laughs) It's looking at the way the body is functioning to help it function better. In other words, not to focus on disease and diagnosis or what's not round, but or not working well, but to really. And of course, everybody brings that to the table because when things aren't working well, it doesn't feel good. But I always think of it as we're looking at this, the different systems and then optimizing them as best we can through whatever means that requires. Got it. So you're saying a lot of people come in when there's a problem, but really you're kind of seeing it as, as things work. You're seeing the whole body as, a, as all the different systems and then going for what's working and trying to figure out what's working. Is that right? Well, looking at how the different systems are functioning okay. and not, a, not, not qualifying bad or good, but what do we need to do to help all of those systems work better together? So optimizing well-being as opposed to diagnosis and and treatment of disease. Got it. I think a lot of people, a lot of people think that natural medicine or functional medicine is about treating disease naturally, which it really isn't. It's about, it's about looking at the way the body's functioning and looking at how we can help it to function, function better. better. Although with that, with that caveat, most people do come in with a something you could diagnose. You right. know, you could put a diagnosis on it. Yeah. Right. If but it's a to. totally different way of seeing the body. It is a little different. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that in, in this current climate of COVID, it's really been brought home to me how people perceive themselves and how they perceive health, that the idea that the COVID vaccine is what is going to dig us out of this problem is completely antithetical to any idea of wellness or looking at the body as having the full capability of managing in an environment. Does that make sense? Like it does, that, and, it, and it makes me want to know more about that. Well, we are really amazing we are the best technology on the planet. We are the most sophisticated technology on the planet. There is no more sophisticated technology on the planet than this body that we all get to have, right? And 
that looking at how that's working, we know a lot about it, but we know more mm-hmm. about outer space than we do about our bodies. We, there's so much more to learn. So, so we're, so I'm curious about COVID in, in general. And so what would, is there a general stance of like the functional medicine world on COVID? Like, or um, is there a, or there, like, how does that, what is your stance on COVID? Like in, in vaccinations, are you, <laughs> that's such a hot topic now. Like, how does that work with? It is a um, hot topic. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, I have to say that initially, like back in March of 2020, that the Institute of Functional Medicine came out with some basic guidelines for treating patients and for um, optimizing the immune system so that people wouldn't get COVID. I haven't been, well, and I have to say that I was really surprised at how busy we stayed and how busy we got because people really started coming out of the woodwork wanting to reinitiate care, I guess, because they started thinking about what do I do to build my immune system? Um, But I think the stance in functional medicine, at least in my world, is I didn't realize how counter it is to Fauci's idea of what we are. Because in my world, we are hardwired to mount an immune response to anything in our environment and that everybody is unique and different and we need different things to mount that response or we can do it fine. But the, you know, the CDC came out very early saying you need to optimize vitamin D, optimize zinc, and that vitamin C was a great solution and that using melatonin, if you do get it, is a great way to protect the brain. Those were really simple things and they were touted very early on. And then they sort of left the conversation, like nobody was talking about it. And now, I don't know, in the last six months, the last year, doctors who have come out and said, we need a way to, for early intervention, because all you're giving us, all the the government was giving us was um, last end or end state intervention. It was, you get COVID, hopefully you don't get to the point where you need a ventilator. And then if you do, we'll vent you which, you know, wasn't, that's not the way we've managed any other problem. That's not the way we managed AIDS. That's not the way we managed SARS. There was always a early protocol. So I think if, if I think functional medicine has an early protocol or we've stuck with that and also had a preventative protocol, which isn't antithetical to what the CDC was saying early on. It's really, it sounds like it's just optimizing the body to be at its best place to handle COVID and other things. Right. Right. And I mean, there are some little tricks, like there are some herbs you can use. And one of the things that came out of China very early was drinking hot tea. I mean, just the fact that it's a nasal or a nasal pharyngeal virus that lodges here. If you're drinking warm fluids, it should be passing it into your gut where your gut should destroy it. So so, you know, there are simple things like that. Right. That's so interesting. And so, and really we're in that reactionary approach. And that to me is just symbolic of how we handle most things. Like the way you talked about right. um, how we see disease and we go to the doctor because there's a problem and things like that. So I, um, it's a, and I'm just, it, it really takes me back to think about 
the difference in how we see the body, I guess, how uh, functional medicine sees the body. Um, and it really gives me a sense of optimism in a sense of uh, you're seeing it in, in wellness in a, in a way of wellness rather than what's the problem. Yeah. Well, and knowing that you have the internal wiring to take care of it, that you are your impulse, your body's impulse is always to be better. You know, if when people aren't better, it's because they're doing something to themselves. They might not know they're doing it, but they are chronically undermining their own health. Okay. So, so do you find yourself doing a lot of detective work? Because it's, it's almost like you're looking at obstacles that are getting in the way. Well, certainly. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that when we, when I first see a patient, we do a whole timeline of their life and very few people have ever done that or had somebody else ask them to do that. So, you know, as you go back for a, you know, 55 year old woman who is, um, you know, stressed and fatigued, do you go back and you look at all these different things that started from birth, you know, and what and what's led to fatigue? You, you, sometimes they just go, "Oh yeah, I get it. I'm I'm tired because I'm tired because I've done so much. So right. what do you need to do? I mean, maybe you need to eat better. Maybe we need some supplements, but maybe you need to rest. You know, maybe and not take on other people's burdens. So right. and so that gives me a glimpse of what a typical session is. So you start with that overall. Um, examination and assessment going back for the whole life. Can you go into more detail about what um, an experience with going into functional medicine looks like? Oh, I mean, for a patient, like when they come in for their first visit, yeah. usually if you are seeing a functional medicine practitioner, they should be asking you um, not only about your timeline, like birth, and then what happened, and then what happened, you know, what was high school like for you? Where what injuries did you have? What sorts of medications have you been on to your life? Um, particularly for women, when did you start your period? And then what's that been like for you? But then we also go through the systems and we do a system analysis, which honestly is just good old medicine. I think if you have a good physician, they're going to run through a systems check for you. But they might not look at it as deeply as a functional medicine practitioner would, which is you know, looking at how your bowels are, are working. How, how do you breathe? Are you really exhaling? Um, and then, and then there's the physical exam, which, you know, the physical exam in medicine in a traditional medicine setting has really waned. And, mm -hmm. um, and I know that personally, not just because I'm a patient, but also because I taught at a medical school. And one of my gifts was showing them physical exam because they just weren't doing it anymore. So physical exam, looking at, you know, palpating abdomens, listening to the lungs for more than two seconds, listening to the heart for more than a minute, um, looking at fingernails, looking at the texture of skin and hair, and then watching people move. I mean, when you watch somebody who is vibrantly healthy and it doesn't matter what age they are, they move much different than people who are not vibrantly healthy. Yeah. And so how do you take all that information and put it into action? Or well, recommendations or. Yeah, the way that I do it is because I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I because I did oriental medicine before I did 
functional medicine and oriental medicine is not unlike functional medicine in that there are the systems that you look like, look at, and then there's the timeline, but you know, there's foundational stuff. Like if the gut isn't working well, nothing else is going to work. So usually some people start with the gut. Sometimes I'll start with the structure, but that's, I'm informed by the patient and what they need. So I had a, I had a patient recently who bless her heart. She had, um, had a prophylactic hysterectomy and was planning on having a prophylactic um, mastectomy. And she just wanted to come in and get checked to see if there's anything else she could do. And the underlying motivation was extreme fear over having cancer. And, and then I found out that she was born in a city that we would all acknowledge as a very toxic city and probably not in a really high income area either so i realized that the the problem is fear and then the secondary problem was toxicity so so we talked about fear <laughs> so we started there like let's not wow. let's not be fearful let's be proactive um but and then looking at why she was fearful what what does that mean to have cancer and what does that mean to be sick to her but then so that, and I showed her one thing she could do to make sure, which is vitamin D, oddly. Um, but then the other thing was um, just kind of unpeeling the layers of the onion. Are you toxic? Why are you toxic? And are you able to detoxify? And if you are able to detoxify, let's maximize it. So, You know, I've heard that word so much, toxic and talk, detoxify. What does yeah. that mean? So what yeah. does that mean? <laughs> Good point. Good point. I mean, I remember a long time ago, years ago, I was talking to somebody about detoxification and they actually thought I meant a rehab facility. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's not what it means. And then when, of course, detoxifying is a buzzword in a lot of juicing factories and that kind of thing. But we all detoxify all day long. And we have four organs that are responsible for detoxification. And if any one of those four organs is kind of lagging, another organ will take up. So we are, it's amazing how well we do in this environment that we live in. Um, but most people have either genetically or because of their lifestyle, will have some ways that we can optimize detoxification. Unfortunately, we live in a really, really toxic environment even the more rural areas have been shown to be very toxic at this point. And it's actually the air. I mean, I have always focused on food and pesticides and herbicides, but mm -hmm. the data that's coming in is really focusing on air at this point and the air that we breathe. So, so we're all being exposed to these toxins. So really we're, um, we're all detoxifying, as you said, but I guess certain bodies would handle that in different ways. And so it can our, harm us in various ways. Our bodies, you know, are different. Everybody's different. We all have to, most of us have some kind of genetic snip around detoxification and that that's very varied. There are five different pathways for detoxification that can be optimized. And most people need at least one of them optimized for whatever reason. But 
we live in a chemical stew that our grandparents did not live in. And that chemical student, well, maybe even our parents didn't live in. I mean, in the last 50 years, the amount of inorganic chemicals that we are ingesting through the air, through food, through water is unprecedented. And genetically, we haven't been challenged to do that. Or, I mean, the human race hasn't been challenged to do that. Right. And that is because of the agriculture, because of the way that we have used plastics and the way that we have, um, even in a medical setting, use chemicals and plastics to enter the body. So there are certain pathways that we just don't have. Like there are, I I think it's the last time I heard the number, I think was 2004 and there was something like 264 chemicals they were finding in umbilical blood, which should be the purest blood that is, that are not able to go through our detoxification pathways. And that was from the CDC. And I kind of just shut down. I don't need numbers for that. <laughs> like, right. that's enough. I got it. <laughs> there's probably more now. But, and then, you know, there's other things just territorially, like in the Southwest. Um, and this is, this is sort of old information, but a lot of people don't know about it. But in the Southwest of the United States, um, perichlorate is found in breast milk, which means there's a lot of perichlorate toxicity. This is perichlorate is a four uh, molecule or excuse me, four chlorine in a molecule. And this molecule is um, displacing things like iodine, bromine and fluorine in the body, which then creates a whole kind of interesting toxicity in the hormonal system. So um, there there, there are things that we don't know because we're not told. And a lot of people feel like they would be getting that on the news. They're not going to get that on the news. That's, no. That would create hysteria. Where do you the get pl- that information? Like where, if, if you were believe wanting it or, to know. Well, believe it or not, you can get a lot of it on the EPA website because that's what they do. Um, they report it differently now. They used to in the 90s report, it, report stuff in graphs. So it was easy to understand. It's not all that easy to understand at this point because they realize it might create hysteria. Um, right. So, but you can go to other places like environmentalworkinggroup.org, which is a nonprofit um, group that looks at the environment and looks at um, the level of toxicity and strategies for avoiding toxicity. Um, there are a couple of authors who are who've collated some amazing information. And the most depressing one, so the more depressing it is, the more information there is, is from Joe Pisano, who has written amazing books on natural health care. And his last one, which was, um, I think it was called The Toxic Burden, is super depressing, <laughs> but <laughs> has a lot of information about where, we, where, where the toxicity is and how it's mounting and what kind it is and different parts of the earth how bad it is. Right. So with all that information, um, how, what can we do, I guess? And what what is your rule on that? Yeah. So, so the best thing to do is to try to keep your space, your food, um, and your life as clean as possible. Like in our, 
in our office, in our house, we have purified water. We don't drink water out of plastic bottles. Um, we use plastic as little as possible. I have an air purifier both at home and at the office that we use when the air is getting, getting too toxic. We use it also if there are sick people around. But um, yeah, and we try, to, we try to eat as much as possible organic foods. There, there are foods that are more important to eat organic and the Environmental Working Group has that listed on their website. Every year they assess what are the most toxic foods, what are the least toxic foods, right. meaning fruits and veggies. But the, to also keep your detoxification process up, like number one is to be sure that you're pooping every day. And if you're not pooping every day to get that going, and if you are pooping every day to make sure you're really fully evacuated, that your colon's clean. And then also looking at what things do you just super enjoy doing that might undermine toxicity or undermine detoxification, excuse me. And alcohol, it's interesting, alcohol is, one of those things that most people know will decrease detoxification. In other words, it does challenge the liver. Um, but most physicians are still encouraging people to drink alcohol um, at least a couple times a week because of the polyphenols in wine. And because in harder liquors, there, there is some relaxation potential there. So it, it will help people kind of chill out. Um, I'm not sure about that. I'm not, I don't like to drink. That's not something that feels good to me. I notice that people who drink two or three drinks every day, and there's still a lot of people out there that they don't detoxify. Well, they're usually, you can see puffiness in their body. But some of the other things you can do, simple things, just to keep detoxification on its toes is using fiber, using vitamin C, um, let me just think, oh, eating good foods like um, onions and garlic are great. Beets are great. Um, and anything with a lot of microfiber like oatmeal, um, fruits and vegetables. So that sounds very accessible. Yeah, you know, it's easy to do. It's not hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I love to go, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also think that people sometimes I hear this often. I eat really well. And I always go, I bet you do. So tell me what you had for breakfast. Tell me what you had, and, you know, and the person is usually carrying about 30 to 50 pounds overweight. So the other thing is keeping your caloric intake down because, you know, the place that we store toxins in our body is fat. So the less fat you're carrying around, the less toxins you're going to have. That's yeah. Right. So. Yeah. That's, that sounds right to me just as a, yeah. You had mentioned before about gut health. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that and how that's, um, do you see, is that a big issue that you see? And what does that, what does that really mean? So and, yeah, there's been a lot, hot what? And like five words or less. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of current and kind of exciting research about the microbiome. Um, and most of it's being driven well, I said the mo the ones that I know about are being driven by John Hopkins, but there's a lot of other people doing great work on the microbiome. And we're learning things like this connection between the brain and the gut, which is biphasic via the vagus nerve. And I still am trying to wrap my head around how that happens, but evidently neurotransmitters are are crawl up the vagus nerve and enter the brain. 
um, they probably don't crawl. They probably flow. But um, that's just amazing to me. And that certain bacteria really help to tell the body where to put calories, which that's just amazing. Like we've got this whole little community in our gut that's telling our body what to do and making things to help us feel better or not, you know, or not. So gut health, I think is, you know, it used to be back in the old days, you, a nurse would ask you, have you pooped today? They don't ask that anymore. And I'll never forget this patient. This was years ago, but I had a nurse who was a patient who came in and told me that her low back was really hurting. And I was like, okay. And I checked her out and realized, I mean, I did a chiropractic adjustment, but I also rolled her over to release her psoas and realized that her gut was impacted. And she had, she did look like she gained a little bit of weight. And when I suggested to her that her low back came maybe from the, the gut impaction, she was horrified because she knew that was her thing. You know, that was something that nurses have been charged with to make sure that people were pooping regularly. But there's so much more to it than just pooping regularly. And it is not part of the conversation in any medical practice except the functional medicine practice at this point. Even GI people really are just looking for pathological tissue and if make sure you're not burping up too much, we'll settle the acid down, which is a whole nother um, horrible thing. But um, digest, so, the, the GI health starts with digestion, which starts here and then ends, you know, down here with what we're putting into the toilet. So it's a pretty big topic. And yeah. I like to see, I like to see that people are feeling comfortable with their digestion, that they're not bloating, that they're not having reflux, that when they eat something, they feel like they fully digest it and they don't see it in the toilet and that they're having regular bowel movements that are easy and you know look like soft serve and that may be more information than anybody wants to hear right now but that is those are the things that we look for right that's so interesting and and that makes me want to ask about like the stress response in the body and how that can just throw is that a big factor in i, think, <laughs> I mean i can only imagine yeah i think it. it's a huge factor and you know, one of the things I've been doing acupuncture for a while now, um, over 20 years and WHO world health organization recognizes acupuncture for about 75 different modalities and top of the list is digestive disturbance. So I use acupuncture a lot with people who have GI problems. And most of those people have GI problems because they were either stressed as a child and their body got into this kind of weird repetitive pattern where even if they're not stressed, their gut is still acting like they're stressed or life has thrown so much at them and they are working best they can, but it's tapping that the, the life, they're having the life sucked out of them. And what's the first thing that shuts down when your energy goes down? It's your gut. So um, the stress is big. And, and I use acupuncture a lot for stress, but certainly you have to be aware of the stress and then aware of how you can change your life and make modifications. And I think one of the things that functional medicine is all about is not just how are things functioning, but how can you live a life where things function better? What is, what's your lifestyle? 
if your lifestyle is I take care of my crippled child and I work three jobs and my ex-husband, you know, helps me two weekends out of the month, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a break there somehow. I, and I see people in extraordinary situations as I'm sure everybody does. But even if that means that I have to take 20 minutes out to take an Epsom salt bath and listen to relaxing music at least three times a week, then we try to get people to do that. So. Right. So yeah, really finding ways to take care of yourself. Like self, self-care is really everything. And, and, and really to some self-care is eating well and sleeping, <laughs> you know, something as, as simple right. as that or even right. some time. That's amazing to me. And it also makes me think about that woman you talked about, about the fear and mm-hmm. how that was the base of all that. And, and it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's amazing to me to think about how much that affects so many things affect the body, especially as mm-hmm. we're going through this world now with COVID, like what we talked about earlier and the things that that can bring. Yeah. I mean, the emotional state that people are in, I mean, our body is our subconscious mind. So, you know, whatever happened, I often, I had a wonderful childhood. I did. I mean, I, when I hear about people's childhood, I just go, wow, I am, how did I get so lucky? But when I lay down to go to sleep, some of the things that I use in my mind to soothe myself are memories from childhood. And I, and I was thinking about this last night. I don't have a lot of anxiety about sleep, but I don't sleep well. And, you know, there's a, I've never slept well, but I'm okay with it. I, you know, I make allowances for it. So part of the way that I make allowances for it is that I have great memories. So if somebody's not sleeping well and they have horrible memories, I mean, oh my God, they're lost in this hell, right? So you have to, I mean, the other thing is creating scenarios that create a memory that you can evoke that is positive. And um, I've used a lot of stuff. And and sometimes that seems so simple or so odd to people, but that really is what meditation is, or that's a big part of what meditation is, is evoking a positive feeling in your body, um, which if you can't conjure one up, then you need to learn to conjure one up, right? And we do little workshops around that, so. So you actively actively bring those practices in your, in your practice as a functional medicine doctor. I do. I mean, and I would hope that most functional medicine practitioners do and, or I have people that I can send people to, you know, to, to help them work on that a little bit more. So. And so how do you see, or maybe how have you experienced meditation um, you said even in, as you're, as you're using it to go to sleep, you don't mm-hmm. sleep well, but you don't have anxiety about it. That really right. struck me and how, and that, and that's that, that's that, um, that line where you can use that positive influence that, um, that you could even, mm-hmm. I guess, would you even dare to say a mantra or just something, mm-hmm. um, that you can cling on to and really embody. Right. That is something that is nurturing you know, not Mm -hmm. to have the anxiety kind of still destroy that opportunity to rest. So if I'm, if I'm sleeping poorly, let's just say, or I'm not going to sleep as well as I would think that I need to for my next day's work, the last thing in the planet that I want to start thinking about is, 
oh my God, I have so much to do and I can't sleep and I'm going to be tired and it's going to be miserable. And people sometimes think I have missed the point when they're telling me they can't sleep and they're so tired. And I say, well, what is the problem with that? Why? Where's the problem here? You can't sleep and you're tired. Where's the problem? Like the problem isn't that they can't sleep. It's that they're fatigued and fatigue is an emotion. You know, it's a, it's an emotion. If you can't conjure up feelings of well-being, you feel fatigued. If you can't conjure happiness, then you're, you're fatigued. And many people, particularly women, I don't hear about this as much with men, but, and we probably have this more with women because women have been, um, have asked for being able to do everything, right? We want to do everything. We want to have kids. We have career. We want to make money. We want to have relationships. We want to also have a great body. So we want to, yeah, we want to be an athlete, right? But there's only 24 hours in a day and nine of those you're supposed to be sleeping, right? So if sleep isn't sleep, it ought to be restorative then. It ought to be filled with lovely thoughts, lovely feelings, and um, programming our tissue to be vital. And um, I'm not saying I'm good at that all the time, but I'm pretty good about that a lot. <laughs> and I, I actually came out that way. I wasn't something I conjured. I remember being 10 years old and waking up in the middle of the night and walking around the house, just looking at things. I remember being interested and also being really interested in being alone. I loved that feeling of being alone. And um, what I find when I'm talking with people about sleep is oftentimes they either need to be alone, they're sleeping with somebody they shouldn't be sleeping with, or they're afraid to be alone. And that loneliness is something that we talk about a lot with patients, or I talk about a lot with patients, that loneliness is not um, being alone. Loneliness is not feeling connected. So um, connection is what energy is all about. And most people who are fatigued, who aren't getting sleep, aren't connected in some way or who have felt overconnected. Do you know what I mean? And so finding balance in that, I love how you brought that whole example back to connection and, um, and, and you gave a perfect living example of working with, um, something that you were born with that you need, you, you, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not getting enough sleep and, and how it can be handled and how it can be managed and listening to your story just sort of, um, relaxed me because it it gave me a sense of empowerment about how you can connect with yourself and manage it and work with it and still lead and maintain a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. That that it doesn't have to be like, there isn't one formula for everybody. And it does. And even if you know what your formula is, it doesn't have to be right all the time. You will, as long as you maintain a inward sense of well-being all will be well and I know that sounds sort of magical but um, you know in Qigong and in Tai Chi when well I don't I I actually I say Tai Chi but in Qigong when you're practicing Qigong or in meditation both eastern practices one of the recommendations is to to start by finding a, a posture that's comfortable 
but engaged and then smiling. And so, and smiling brings up your energy and that maintaining, even in Qigong where you're moving, um, maintaining that smile is key to keeping the energy moving. So, you know, the other thing that people can do to boost their immune system and to get their gut working better is to smile. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> what it does for the nervous system, right? Mm. And I, I guess when I learned that, I was older when I learned that, but, um, and I learned that through practicing Qigong, but it's pretty amazing what happens when you just smile all the time. People either think you're really dumb or, <laughs> or, or um, you get a lot of positive feedback and it just depends on where you are. So, yeah. Right. And I, I definitely find um, it's contagious. Yeah. Another, and, yeah. And it invites connection. You know, it does invite people responding to you. It's, it's funny how, um, you, you can have a grumpy face and you can, I re, I'll never forget when I realized that I had my glasses on like this and I was looking at tellers like over my glasses while I was writing something and I would say something, they would take me really seriously. And when I, I realized that I was like, wow, I can control and coordinate people by doing this. <laughs> but, but if you're more uplifted and you smile, your body language is completely different even though you might be thinking the same thing, like why did I get a red dress when I ordered a blue dress? So, you know. Right. right. Well, I feel like we could talk forever. Like I want to know more about acupuncture. I want to know, I want to know even more about gut health. I want to know. <laughs> um, uh, but I guess just to, just to ask more just about the logistics of your practice. Um, how do you, is it expensive? Does insurance cover it? Is this, uh, how does that work? In, so in I chose to opt out of all insurance. I'm a cash only practice. I think some functional medicine practices bill insurance. Um, you know, we fill out our super bill so people can bill insurance if they want to. But you know, the, the idea of insurance is antithetical to functional medicine. And I have heard different alternative practitioners talk about how insurance should cover this. And the thing is insurance is big business and insurance is uniquely set up to discern whether they should pay for something based on actuary tables and um, based on cookie cutter medicine and functional medicine is not cookie cutter. Medicine. No. Um, I, so we don't bill insurance. Some functional medicine practices do. I have a few patients who see who come to see me, but they go have their lab work done at other practitioners' offices, and that becomes a little confusing. But um, you know, is it expensive? I guess that's all relative. I have mm -hmm. people who are on Medicaid who come to see me, and I have, and I don't mean that. I mean that in that they don't have much money. They have so little money that they're able to get public assistance. Um, and then I have people who have more money than I'll ever have. And, um, and it just depends on how, what you value. So sure. Yeah. And as, as someone that's been seeing you now regularly, I, I, I see the value in this and it's, uh, it's to make that a priority in your life is, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, it's what, it's what matters and it, and it seems mm -hmm. to, and it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Life is good. Yeah, it really is. And it, and it really yeah. comes down to that. I'm, I'm, 
I'm left with this from this discussion of um, really feeling uplifted about the attitude toward the body and how and and toward yourself. And that's really it sounds like that's really the central theme of connecting with the body. In yeah. Yeah. You connect with your body. You're not separate from it. And right. it, you know, the more you nurture your home, which is your body, the happier you'll be. Well, thanks right. for so much. Thanks for your um, flattery <laughs> that, that, that you were uplifted. I like that. Yeah. Of not only um, uh, warmth, but a, almost a sense of empowerment um, mm -hmm. about uh, how, direct, how, you know, I think so many people are looking for what to do in this world. It's almost doing less more. And that, and that, yeah. that is that feels really good to hear. I'm glad. So thank you so much um, for joining me today, Dr. Lex. Is there anything, um, I feel like, I don't know, there's so much I want to talk, back to the whole much, <laughs> so much I want to talk about, but is there anything that we didn't cover that sounds, um, that you feel is important there? Well, I would just say in this COVID climate that I think what's not being shared and with the mandates and that sort of thing is that, and, and I was kind of shocked to find this, that I didn't realize that it was so fringe, but that we do heal ourselves. And I have had COVID and sailed through it. It was a great, I mean, I know other, I know a lot of other people have had COVID. And it was a little bit rougher, but um, you know, it's, we are hardwired to heal and having faith in ourselves and in our body is the antithesis of what we're being told right now by Dr. Fauci. So, you know, have faith, know you can do it. Right. Perfect. Great way to end. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thanks, Allison. Thank you for being part of our working on wellness community. You can find our other podcasts on Spotify and Google Podcasts. For questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at intern at healthandmind.net. Lastly, don't forget to follow our social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. In all you do, keep your health in mind.